It's Learning to Listen with Quinn, Naomi, and Charlie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Welcome. Welcome, one and all. L2L podcast, Learning to Listen. We're talking about music and the way we listen to music. We're trying to engage with the music we listen to. We're all about the lost art of engaged listening. Hashtag that shit. Engaged listening. So that's why we're talking about albums and consuming the album as a whole artistic statement, the way artists intended. Uh, this isn't a biography show. I mean, you never know. Maybe we know something about something. Depends on the album we're talking about. But no, that's not what this is about. Instead, this is pure guttural, visceral reaction to the music we are listening to. My name is Quinn. Uh, I am your host. I have my co-hosts with me, DJ Charlie Scream. Charlie Scream. And if, Let's do I it. I always forget you're going to do that. Hey! <laughs> like a chump, a like a chump, a. All right, and then of course our '90s nostalgia expert Naomi Carmack. How's it going, Naomi? Like Oh, coming in hot there. Holy. Being moist all the time would be a problem. Oh, come on. I mean, I guess it would be, but they make panty liners for that. So anyway, <laughs> moving on. So we are doing today, we are doing Rolling Stone's 100 Greatest Albums of All Time, according to their top 500 list from 2012, amended in 2021. What are we doing today? Uh, we are doing number 92, Jimi Hendrix Experience, Access, Bold as Love. Uh, but before we do that, patreon.com slash learning to listen. Uh, that's where you get to hear the realest of the real deal, Holyfield. And, you know, that's what that's about. Patreon.com slash learning to listen. Episodes go up early. You get bonus content. Uh, you get to hear us just, I don't know, do no, let me, what let we me do. Tell you, Naomi was on fire in this preamble. Mm-hmm. She just oh, man. Yeah, shut no, up. I, I thought I was killing it. Yeah, you're. <laughs> yeah, you know, um, that's where you're going to hear all this wonderful stuff. Come check me out. <laughs> yes, that's right. Uh, so, Naomi, how's it going today? Well, you know, living the dream, you know, slanging drinks and food over at Boston Pizza and being a karaoke queen. That is uh, the dream, right? Boston you Pizza. You know, just uh, trying doing what we can do. The BP's mm. karaoke queen. Mm-hmm. How's your dating life? Uh, creamier than I would like, but drier than most. Wow. Damn, getting spicy. Um, So what is your favorite part about the 90s? Um, gosh, and I can't even go even more than that. Uh, Greg Parshower was born in the 90s, and that's the greatest thing that's ever happened to the. Oh, uh, I've got it on good authority that he wasn't born until the early 2000s, though. <clears throat> really? And, and who have you been talking to about that? I just got it. We, we have we all have a shared friend in uh, good old Andrew Scott, and he says otherwise. Wow. Uh, one of my favorite things about the 90s was reminiscing about how I don't know anything about the 90s. So we'll <laughs> go with that. <laughs> Well, you know what? The 90s were a terrible decade. Just god-awful. So, I, you know, the thing I hate the most about the 90s is everybody who thinks the 90s are so goddamn precious and have all these fucking nostalgic feelings for them and make these podcasts about, like, how great the 90s were and <laughs> think they're in the 90s. <laughs> fucking terrible. I'm sorry. I just had to get that off my chest. Uh, yeah, no, I, you know, I'm just trying to live my good life. No big deal. <laughs> Wow! Uh, I'm just kidding, Naomi. I take it back. I'm I, I I'm saying sorry. I was just ripping on you. Uh, but uh, which of the uh, new kids on the block do you have the most wet dreams about? 
Um, like I don't even know any of their names. Donnie? No, no, no. It's Jordan. Jordan Knight. There you go. There you go. Like, that's the one. The one with the rat tail. Sure. Hi, Mimi. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay. Okay. Well, if you guys haven't figured it out by now, obviously Naomi is not here. Um, she chickened out. You know. Look, hold on. I sent out the link, and th- and th- this guy shows up, and I was confused. I was heckin' confused. <laughs> I was just told to be here. Nobody told me he was going to be here. Um, you know, obviously the bunny outfit was not needed. Uh, yeah, sorry. you got trolled on that one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. I, when you uh, when you get an invite to a costume party, make sure <laughs> that people are actually going in costumes. You don't want to be the only guy. Yeah. Should, you know? You it's mean like, I'm uh, the only guy? At the costume well, party, wearing or at, at the, the costume party, quote unquote costume party. <laughs> oh, oh I costume. see what you're saying. Gotcha, gotcha. Yes. Okay. So we were actually talking to uh, Greg. Uh, how do you pronounce your last name exactly? I was going to put the R in front of the A, but now that I'm reading it, the A is after the R, or the A is before the R. Yeah, it totally is. It's like, it's par shower. Par shower. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Greg from uh, it's a conspiracy podcast. My mm-hmm. dude. The true Judas podcast, if we uh, want to hey, uh, get I, real whoa, for a minute. Whoa. <laughs> you know, that's, that's just, I'm just here. Let's put it that way. Cowboy. Well, okay. It was a surprise to us when uh, we signed on to our Zoom link today and uh, we saw Greg there. Uh, obviously, Naomi has pulled a fast one on us, but uh, joke's on her. Uh, Greg actually listened to the album? No, he didn't. <laughs> No, he didn't. I totally did, man. Greg, did you listen to the album? I did, yeah. Well, like I said, like the very like I don't I'm not gonna spend money on Spotify or anything like that. I'm not fancy like you guys. So I did the best that I could. Did a little um, There's a lot of free ways to listen to us. Though. Yeah, it's exactly like did a lot of three free things and I listened to the album. Like it's <laughs> man, it's um this is Jimi Hendrix and it's one of his like more more prolific albums. Um most of the songs uh, I, I don't want to get right into it right off the bat. Like, yes, yes, I listened to the album. That's what you. I was know. expecting you to be like, he plays some <laughs> guitar on the album. Yeah. <laughs> no, I did um, listen to it. Uh, it was one of my favorite albums back in high school, uh, and um, yeah, it's it's still just as good now as it was back then. Okay, okay. Well, we'll get into yeah. it. We'll get into it. Uh, I just before we move on, uh, so everybody knows, uh, you know, give a little plug for uh it's a conspiracy charlie never talks about his other podcast on this podcast so you want me to give a little plug and just give a little plug tell tell everybody what it's a conspiracy is about and all uh that. well you know it's a conspiracy is a proud podcast brought to you by uh the alberta <laughs> podcast i did actually i've heard it andrew say it so many times Can you do the whole it, opening spiel yeah <clears throat> no no we're part of the alberta podcast network um uh, you can find us on um, Spotify, YouTube, on uh, some obscure uh, Andrew podcast thing. Uh, you can also find <laughs> us on wherever you basically get your podcast fix. Uh, we talk about conspiracies, uh, myths, monsters, uh, Greg's life, and more. And uh, by Greg, I mean me. I didn't mean to talk about myself in the third person. And yeah, you know, check it out. It's it's not that bad, and sometimes we're pretty funny. <laughs> hey, it's not that bad. Yeah. I've been on an episode or two. I can't remember. I can't, I can't believe you laughed. I've at me like definitely that. listened to those ones, and those were okay. 
I love yeah. that cell of like, come on, check it out. It's not that bad. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, okay. Well, this episode is off to a roaring start. <laughs> <laughs> this one's going to be for you diehards only. Everybody else's. Oh, wait. No, I meant one more thing. is like you can find us on uh, Instagram at uh, It's a Conspiracy Podcast, I think. Um, on Twitter at Is It a Conspiracy. And if you want to find any of our merch, it's you can find it on uh, oh, Charlie Screams. There you go. We'll get you sorted. Yeah, that, that's the last thing I got to say. Okay, right on. Well, the only reason I assume that maybe you hadn't listened to the album is because since you're, uh, you know, stepping in for Naomi here, uh, you know, she only ever makes it through the albums occasionally, so. <laughs> she sent me, like, the, fa- the face of the album and, like, no description before it. And then all of a sudden today, she's like, you ready to record? And I was like, yeah. <laughs> like, I, I guess I agreed to this. So cool. Yeah. Okay. But like you were saying, the famous album, you've definitely heard it. So I'm going to do the whole thing and uh, get into it right now. So Let's talk about it. Axis Bold as Love is the second studio album by the Jimi Hendrix Experience. Track Records first released in the United Kingdom on December 1st, 1967, only seven months after the release of the group's highly successful debut, Are You Experienced? In the United States, Reprise Records delayed the release until the following month. The album reached the top 10 in the album charts in both countries. Okay, that's not a very good uh, blurb for the album, <laughs> but I think we all know about this album. Uh Yes, it is Jimi Hendrix Experience. It is the second album out of three Jimi Hendrix Experience albums that were ever made. It's the last uh, studio album to be, I think, studio anything really, except for maybe some outtakes and B-sides and stuff that got released uh, in Jimi Hendrix's lifetime. Of course, he tragically passed away in 1970. And uh, the only thing that got released after this, or not after this album, but after the, the run of the three uh, was the band of gypsies and uh, after that it's all been you know taken from bootlegs and concert recordings and b-sides like i said so um how aware of this album were you guys charlie let's start with you pretty aware of it pretty aware of it uh obviously going through the high school guitar guitar i don't want like not guitar hero the game but like guitar hero the actual people <laughs> like uh, picking up know. issues of guitar player magazine yeah, guitar world magazine being you like know. who's this guy with the afro on the cover all the you time get, yeah you get hendrix you get you know page you get you know all the real yeah, Jimmy deals. page had a little bit of an afro going on <laughs> <laughs> so yeah pretty pretty familiar with it i would say out of the big three that he put out the least familiar of the, with this one out of the three okay for sure greg what about you um well dude yeah super familiar i like i was born in the 90s grew up in mid-2000s when i was in high school um trying to be as hipster and original as possible was knowing about all the oldest music there was to know about and obviously hendrix being one of them so it's older than the 60s yeah well okay yeah so myself also being super aware of this album have definitely listened to it uh, before um i guess yeah this is one of those ones where when i listen to it today i and before this even but like uh i got a little tinge of nostalgia myself because it really took me back to when i was first exploring music and guitar playing and stuff like that like you were saying charlie and of course man you gotta check that off the list you gotta check out Jimi hendrix i really got into Jimi hendrix um in the early 90s polydor uh, they had re-released uh cds of the first three albums and then a compilation called the ultimate experience i had 
copies of Are You Experienced on CD that I bought from that. I had uh, Electric Ladyland that I bought on CD from that. And then I also had the compilation uh, The Ultimate Experience. I did not purchase the Axis Bold as Love one, though. You didn't have Axis. And because when I looked at the track listing of it, and I already had those two plus the compilation, all the my favorite songs from this album were already on that compilation. Okay. So even though I definitely had listened to this one, I remember taking it out from the library. Um, I that, that that's what we used to do, by the way, Greg. Yep. I, I still I still go to the library. So <laughs> you take out you. CDs. <clears throat> Do they still have music at the library? (laughs) They do, but I have never touched one. (laughs) (laughs) Back in the 90s, before we had the internet, Spotify, streaming, you know, there was only a few ways for you to get free music. And one of them was either tape it off the radio. But of course, you were limited to what was getting played at the radio at the time. And if you were like me uh, and you were curious about music, you had to steal it by going to the library and then either making play like, you know, playlists or or just copying this is like we had to do it to cassette there was no you know putting hey, it on I, a cdr back in the day either i i've made a mixtape of love music for you are a before. hipster <laughs> yep, I'm going with that, yep. Sure. <laughs> all right well anyway just explaining to the younger generation here for you millennials and gen zers that's what we had to do so by the time i got around to thinking about purchasing this album from that collection of those re-releases with cool new art on the cover and everything. At the time, I thought that was cool. Now I'm like, oh, why would they do that? Why wouldn't you use the original art? Especially when I found out the original art for Electric Ladyland was like a bunch of naked chicks on the cover. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Much respect, ladies, but I was also like going hard through puberty. Like I need that one. I was 13, man. I remember digging through my friend's dad's record collection to find Bicycle or like Queen. Which (laughs) Queen album is it that has Bicycle ride on it? Or by anyway, Bicycle. Anyway, you know what I'm talking about. The gatefold, the the poster. Anyway, all right. (laughs) Uh, So back to back to this. uh, Access Bold is love. Um, So yeah, not my first listen through. Uh, but the one that uh, I was probably even up to this point the least familiar with overall had listened to it through a few times here and there. But like I, I like I said, those other two albums were the big two for me. Plus that compilation that had pretty much everything I wanted on it is what I listened to a lot back in the day. Oh, uh, you guys, you've listened through this album before though, so not your first listen through. I think so. Yeah, I'm, I know, you know what? I'm pretty sure I've listened to it before all the way through. I know I'd heard selections for sure. Mm-hmm. But pretty sure I've heard it all before. Okay. What about you, Greg? Yeah, no, definitely an album I've listened to many times before, but a long time ago before now. Um, and like I said, just especially just like what I did to get just to get to this uh, podcast. Um, <laughs> probably it was, like I wish I could have enjoyed it a lot more because like you said, there's some songs in there. I'm like, damn, I remember when the first time I heard this or like, the reason I started listening to the album was because of this song and like, uh, yeah, no, I wish I definitely wish I could have enjoyed it a lot more, but, um, not my first run through for sure. Yeah, for sure. Well, recently while I was leading up to this, I managed to get like two or three, no, three, like three full listens through. And yeah. So obviously, you know, not being where nobody's going to have their pure, like, Oh my God, this is the first time I've heard this album. And, but revisiting this album, uh, you know, some of my initial reactions, uh, like right out of the gate, a like I said, nostalgic. You know, all of a sudden I'm going like, 
oh man you know the songs like spanish castle magic obviously little wing uh castles made of sand uh even uh bold as love but uh, but a couple that surprised me that i forgot i'm like oh yeah i forgot how much i like wait till wait until tomorrow mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. shit like that if six was nine i'm like yeah. oh fuck yeah if six was nine it's like songs i had forgotten about you know right mm-hmm. because i just as much as I have revisited the Jimi Hendrix catalog over time, it's been kind of one of those things where I've just heard so many other people do so many versions of Jimi Hendrix that I've, you know, I've, I never wrote them off, but I definitely wasn't as quick to like, oh, I got to go put on my favorite Jimi Hendrix record. If anything, the albums that I got into are more of the like, band of gypsies, the 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 posthumously released stuff, the 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 alternate takes, the live things. You know, just hearing them jam and 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 the live versions of stuff, I I got I got I started to get a little more out of that than just hearing the commercial like studio recorded versions of songs. Sure, I think because I've just heard so many more interpretations of these songs since that. I I don't know, not that that's a bad thing at all. No, but, but I, I mean, I get I get what you're saying, right? Because like you've heard certain songs, like certain selections from here, so often and done by so many other people, and even just like on classic rock radio or whatever, right? That you're like, yeah, okay, I remember. I get it. I get it. Mm-hmm. But just like very much like you, I uh I think the more the the later on that I listen to Jimi Hendrix, the more I listen to stuff like, you know, albums like the BBC sessions and stuff like that mm-hmm. where it's mm-hmm. some of the same a bunch of the same songs but just different and done differently and then you get to hear like actually it's funny, uh Kaylee and I were driving just the other day and I switched to some random satellite radio station and it had uh, a live version of, of Voodoo Child on it, and Kaylee was like, "Oh, this this recording is so rough." And I'm like, "Yeah, but that means it's a super bootleg, which means he's doing some crazy shit, you know?" Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sure enough, there. Then it just he just kicked into it, and I was like, "Yeah, there you go." The drums sound like garbage, but like, listen to that, you know. Uh, well, maybe that's a good uh, uh, jumping off point for our discussion here is the production. But uh, before we do that, I do want to ask, like, Greg, you were mentioning nostalgia for you. Uh, yeah, like, was that that was the experience you were having? It was just going like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, this song, this song, like. Oh, 100%. Well, like, not in the way of just like, oh, this reminds me of this moment or that reminds me of that moment. But, like, um, you, you brought up the song of Six Was Nine. Um like believe it or not no matter what any proof anybody has i was born in 1991 um which was around the year when point break came out uh one of the greatest movies of all fucking time (laughs) with keanu reeves and the all-time greatest patrick swayze i mean it really established keanu reeves is a master thespian so oh 100 (laughs) yeah but that song is actually featured in there and like that was like i remember watching that when i was probably like 13 or 14 and being like oh wait i know the song that's jimmy hendrix i had and it, like it just kind of brought me back to there but like just um you know like yeah like you said like just listening to the music i had to listen to him forever it was the music my dad listened to um music my sister listened to uh, not so much my mom or my brother because they're you know weirdos but um <laughs> Uh, it, it would no, it was super nostalgic to me. Where it was just like I remember listening to this when I was super young. I remember listening to it when I was a teenager. Um, I remember listening to it not that long ago, and listening to it today, it was like, yeah, this album is amazing. Yeah, right on. Okay, well, I wanted to touch on again about what Charlie was talking about production-wise. So you say you're listening to a bootleg, and you're listening to you know, it's 
it sounds kind of rough because oh, yeah. you know it might be like a microphone in a in a theater Absolutely. or stadium it's, somewhere. Or... It's it's on the stage probably because you can hear yeah. decently well, but you can tell like the drums just sound like so flat and bleh. Well, I have to say, if I have any major complaint about this album, and it's one of those things where it, it's mostly the limitation of the production, like what they were able to do at the time. Like this album came out in 1967. Mm-hmm. And that's in an era where, you know, production was starting to get bigger and they were being able to do more things and they were experimenting with a lot of stuff. Multi-tracking was really starting to come in. But we're still in an era where people are mostly doing takes of songs to get the initial tracks and then maybe layering tracks on top of that, right? Mm-hmm. Uh and if there is anything that this album kind of suffers from a little bit, it's 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 there is a little quality issue with the, some of the production. I don't know if you caught that, but it, it it it's not like a complaint really, except that there's a part of me that is like, oh, imagine like if just like two three years later, a producer like Jimmy Page mm-hmm. had like you know f- having figured out what he figured out for like Led Zeppelin, sure had got his hands on this album and was able to do some of these like songs, you know, with like just that uh, 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 more dialed in production techniques. You mean like just recording straight or like remastering? No, no, no. Yeah. I mean like, so say instead, okay, this album came out within seven months of Are You Experienced? Mm -hmm. You know, it's weird to think of, but that was the deal. That was the record deal is, they got a two record deal and they had to put out both albums bop bop same year. No, yeah, is that how it worked? I cuz I know yeah. that for sure part of it was also the fact that cuz in the 60s people forget about this, but at the time too the art of like the album uh for especially for rock and pop music was only really coming like albums were meant more uh before this point. You know, uh, like they were meant for uh they were like collections of like uh, they were collections of songs that had already been released and maybe some B-sides and maybe they would go and start, you know, in the sixties to get this idea of just like s- doing sessions to cut whole records. Mm-hmm. But the idea is still being that, you know, it, you, it was like, here's our A-sides, here's our B-sides. Uh, album as a whole really, really came into its own in the sixties with bands like the Beatles, you know, stuff like that, putting out like a Sergeant Peppers and the state side you had, Beach Boys doing like pet sounds, stuff like that, right? Those are the obvious examples, but um, you know, so so but it was still pretty commonplace uh it, for artists to put out two albums a year. That was yeah, for sure normal. Mm-hmm. We're used to this thing, I don't know what it's like really now. I think people kind of can do it on their own pace or but the record deal became this thing where it's like we need to develop artists and give them time to write these songs and, and work on these albums and go in the studio for months at a time and that sort of stuff. And the idea of an album cycle became a two-year thing where it's like you spent half a year or more making a record. Then you mm-hmm. spent a year like touring and selling that record and then the cycle started all over again so that albums came out from artists on a regular two-year cycle. But that was still kind of not really happening yet. At this point, yeah, if you got signed to a record label, the idea was you got two records out a year. Right. And mm-hmm. that's why it blows my mind sometimes when you look at catalogs in this era of, of like the 60s and it seems so prolific. Like how were these like bands that were only together, like, you know, like the Jimi Hendrix experience was only together for two years. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right? Like by 69, by the time... uh 
Jimi Hendrix was playing Woodstock, that was as Jimi Hendrix, not the experience. Right. You know, that was the band he put together that eventually became a version of that became Band of Gypsies. But, um, yeah, the Beatles, like, why were they so prolific? How did they put so much stuff out, like, within, you know, less than a decade? <laughs> because that was the idea at the time. You just pumped, you know, they stopped touring just to make records, too. But, like, that was commonplace at the time you put two records out. So it's crazy to think, you know, in the context of now to look back then and go, like, yeah, wow. Uh, Are You Experience comes out in April. And this album, Access Bold as Love, comes out in October. Yeah. And, of course, he blew up in the U.K. first. So uh, people were just finding about a, about Jimi Hendrix in the States, you know. And Well, that's why, yeah, Axis didn't come out till early 68 in the States because uh, Are You Experienced was still charting. So they were like, man, just hold off on it for a little bit. <laughs> yeah, like, why not? Let it back out. for a minute. Yeah. yeah, push it back. And you know what else is crazy, too, is in the U.K., the U.K. version of Are You Experienced didn't have – his three biggest singles at that time. I mean, I'm pretty sure all along the watchtower off of electric Ladyland is probably his best biggest single. I mean, not mm-hmm. best, but biggest single. Right. Of, um, or at least the experience, Jimi Hendrix experience. Uh, but until that happened, uh, Foxy lady, purple haze. For sure. Uh, what else? I, what else off, off of are you experienced? But those, anyway, at least those two for sure. were not even on the UK. They were released as singles separately. Mm. You know, but yeah. they, but because they'd already been released singles, they get put out in the U S on that album and people buy that album up like crazy. Uh, I, I think we do have to mention, are you experienced though, before we can really talk about access because like, are you experienced? Kick the door wide the fuck open. Sure. Right. It changed everything. It turned rock on its head, you know, especially like guitar driven, uh, like rock and roll at that, up to that point. Um, you know, not psychedelic like music was already a thing. Mm-hmm. It wasn't not that it didn't exist. It was you know, and b- there was a lot of guitar driven rock at that point. Obviously, the Beatles I mentioned. You know, speaking of the UK, you've got the U- uh, the Who and and uh, the Who. Pink Yard Floyd Birds. being one or more of those. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, I'm not sure exactly where Pink Floyd is is in this, but they're they're around. You know, all when it these- comes, I would say in like psychedelic rock. They are definitely, I wouldn't say founders, but they're prominent. Well, yeah, I'm not like sure what exactly there. their timeline is, but uh, yeah, they're probably releasing albums around this time, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. For sure they are. Uh, like maybe Piper at the Gates of Dawn, like what year did that come out? That was, still, that was still 60 the, something. Yeah. yeah, that was still in the 60s for sure. But just like that sure uh, over the top, like, b- like blues driven rock guitar for sure you know everybody famously knows that when uh jimmy showed up in the uk and i think like jeff beck and and eric clapton like went to go see him somewhere uh <laughs> they were like well we're out of a fucking job like like <laughs> sure, we just learned guy, how to play guitar again yeah. yeah exactly uh the whole reason everybody like jimmy hendrix blew up to the world after being famously at the monterey pop festival <laughs> you know and and like fucking lighting his guitar on fire and all that shit. And the whole reason he was there is because when Paul McCartney was asked to come on as a board member and help them, um, uh, like book the whole thing. Right. You know, Mm. he said on one condition, Jimi Hendrix plays monitor. Like that's it. I'll come and be, I'll, I'll advise, I'll be an advisor on your board, but Jimi Hendrix has to go and play this festival or whatever. Right. So he was, 
like all of these super people, important people at the time in the music industry, in the music scene, were were pointing at this guy and saying, "This guy's the most important." That's the guy. It's yeah, it's interesting because it was actually Chaz uh, Chaz Chandler, the bass player from the Animals, who discovered Jimi Hendrix. I mean, he'd been playing uh, support, you know, for everybody from like Little Richard to uh, God. I don't know. He he was playing in a backup like in you know, tons of R and B bands. And trying to make it on his own, and I don't know why, but for whatever reason, wasn't wasn't really hitting, wasn't getting a deal or anything like that. But you got to think it like in the span of like from like sixty, like sixty five or something like that, around the time where he shows up in New York after doing a a short stint in the military, mm-hmm. and then he gets discovered by Chaz Chandler. It's like you know they get a record made starting in sixty six and sixty seven. You know our experience come out fucking changes the game huge record obviously blows up in the uk first then uh then stateside boom you hear there's an immediate follow-up and then an immediate follow-up is this album access bold as love and with Um, that but that with that comes the classic uh the classic jinx the sophomore jinx well a little bit you gotta follow that this is still a huge record yeah for sure (laughs) um i would just say that it 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 does it does have a little bit of that sophomore stumble that sophomore curse only because out of three of the most important records in rock music history it's the lesser of the three right but i mean like okay <laughs> what is that saying about it though oh for sure i mean the fact that it's the lesser of the three golden golden goose eggs you know like mm-hmm. still maybe it's the smaller of the goose eggs but it's still a golden goose egg you know mm-hmm. like i i think it's a necessary step listening to it now i feel like it's the necessary step between are you experienced and electric ladyland it's a transitionary right? album well, i think this is the songwriting album yeah for sure it is do you know what i mean absolutely i feel like the first album great songs but it's very much blues driven and it's guitar solos, mm-hmm. you know. It's it, very catchy. Yeah, everything mm-hmm. is, and you know. But this album, did you notice that the guitar? It's all over the album, but it's not long guitar solos. You know, like songs get right into them. Jimmy, there's so much more of his like rhythm playing on display here. This is more about the arrangement of the songs, the songwriting, you know, experimenting with genre. That Oh, there you are. What yeah. happened? You clipped Busy. out on us. Clip it out? Now you're okay. moving. Those mushrooms oh, yeah. really what, what's the last... <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> what, yeah. What's the last thing you guys heard me say? You're talking about songwriting genre. Oh, okay. Okay, so this album, this album, you know, was like more about songwriting. Totally. Uh, experimenting with genre. Yeah. That sort of thing. And I, I feel like you go from Are You Experienced, then Jimmy takes the lessons he learned on this song, not just like playing and learning and, and writing these songs, but also production in the studio. And then a lot more of that stuff by the time he's the actual producer right. in like the producer seat on Electric Ladyland, like 
you know, there you go. That's your, I like, um, that like, that's, that's to me, electric Ladyland is the one that like hits, you know, like, like crests the wave, <laughs> you know, like it, it's the, it's like any TV show where they're like, ah, oh, season three is where they hit their stride. <laughs> right. No, no, you got to watch till season three. That's when it really gels. That's when they really find their, you know, they find nope. their way. But but I think you know while Chaz Chandler was together, yeah, where Chaz Chandler was still uh, helming the production uh, on this album, and I think where you really notice that is things like uh, the songs are just too short. Yeah, I don't know. Did you guys get that sense at all? Like a song that you're going like, oh, I could hear at least two or three more minutes of this song, like. Especially having heard live versions of these songs, some of them, most of these songs weren't played live either. Right. But like a song like Little Wing, which was, you know, not a staple of the Hendrix live set. Mm. And then later on, like you get a guy like Steve Ray Vaughan, who has obviously a very almost not the definitive version. Obviously, I'd say the Hendrix version is still a definitive version, but an iconic version of the song. Totally. His version is something between like six or seven minutes long. Right. Right. Mm. This yeah. version comes in at just under two and a half. Yeah, two twenty-four. Yeah. And I was l- listening to it while I'm back. I'm expecting more song, and all of a sudden it cuts off. Yeah. You know, <laughs> uh, everything. Spanish Cash on Mad. Wait until tomorrow. They come in at a tight three. I think Chaz Chandler was still coming from that world of like getting that radio single and making sure it comes in like under three minutes, like three minutes or less. You know. Maybe maybe DJs will play it, you know, radio stations will play if it's three thirty, but no more than that, right? It's gotta right. come in at a tight three. And so I, he's editing the fuck out of these songs, I think a little bit uh to their detriment. Yeah. Yeah, I get that. I get that. I mean I think and like looking at the total length the total length of the album was with just under thirty nine minutes. So and I know we like to. We've been. We've discussed, and we've come to the decision for the good of humanity that the perfect album is, you know, just around the fifty-minute, forty-five, fifty-minute mark. Mm-hmm. So I. But there's actually a lot of tracks on here. There's what thirteen tracks, right? Yeah. So I feel like you could have left off a track or two and and expanded on. Okay. Well, do you guys? Should we be real? We could leave off. She's so fine. <laughs> the song that's not even really. That's you not know, really a song. A Noel, it's a Noel, it's a Noel well, it's Redding, Noel Redding right? I mean, it's not a bad song. It's fine. But it really, like, deviates from, you know, it's like, this is the Jimi Hendrix experience. Like, <laughs> let's, let's, let's get that fucking two and a half minutes that that song is back, you know, for, a, like, another two and a half minutes on Little Wing. Yeah. You got to <laughs> shuffle, you got to okay. shuffle it so that you got to take Little Wing off of side one, put it on side two, uh... Because you still got to have side one end with six was nine. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, you have one of the greatest guitar masters of all time in the studio, and you're like, let's uh, let's edit these down. Let's uh, let's uh, you know, let's let's just make sure you know, like Jimmy, everybody loves your guitar playing. You don't have anything to prove. Let's just make sure that uh, that people hear the chorus. Maybe you know. I just think that's a little. It's a it's a little. It could use a few more guitar solos. <laughs> I, you know, I'm not, I'm not arguing with that for sure. It could use, but actually, I, I, I thought about that a couple of times throughout. I was like, yeah, it's a little chill on the guitar solos, but I mean, you know, it is a song about the writing as opposed to the, the, the jamming. I think. Mm-hmm. 
Um, we have a surprise guest who just joined us out of nowhere. <laughs> surprise guest on our own show. Yeah, my shadow showed up. <laughs> I just well, look who it, it is. I wanted to make it here in time to uh, give everyone the phone number at the end of the show. <laughs> oh. <laughs> You're way early, actually. <laughs> yeah, we're only halfway through. Yeah. Okay, I'll just shut up then. Let the masters do their work. Did you did you listen to the album? No. <laughs> classic. All right. Well, First that's time. yeah, yeah. Classic Naomi. <laughs> it's only one of the most important albums of all time, and she's like, but it's only like ninety three or ninety two, so it can't be that important. <laughs> but it's in the top one hundred. It's super out of a five hundred. Yeah. Important. Can't be that important. There's no Bon Jovi album. I know. I only listen to albums that never made the list. Okay. <laughs> Nobody in this band has a rat tail, so. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right. Okay. Well, let's let's keep the conversation going. Naomi, feel free free to jump in. Uh, but also, like, okay, just to add on, like, wasn't this one yes, of the, please, the Greg, albums please. where um, Jimi Hendrix also had a little bit more say into the lyrics that was going on? Um. Yeah, well, I don't know. I, I feel uh, he wrote all these songs, so, um, so yeah. he wrote these lyrics. Yeah. But one thing that you just reminded me of is uh, it's he. It's so weird. Like, there's nothing wrong with his voice, right? Uh, I don't think so. Like no. his singing voice. No, you is, couldn't say no. Like, we would say probably not. No. Yeah. No. Nothing. But he was so. He hated hearing his voice recorded. And then one of the things he always pushed for in the studio, and I always heard this in, uh, you know, like, I remember reading this or hearing this in interviews. I'm not sure from Chas Chandler or uh, from, uh, uh, who was the engineer on these? Um, doo-doo-doo, what's his name? Uh, I'm trying to remember who produced these. Anyway, um, but they uh, they would always say that, yeah, he would always want them to bury his vocals. Mm. And there's definitely a few times on a few songs here where he got his way a little bit. You, you well, yeah, I think you can hear that throughout like any song that he's recorded. Yeah, well, a lot of them. But I would say on the other side, but there's the flip side of that too, where you've got things that are. Um, so there's the, we were talking about the production, how, how some of the albums sounded kind of mm, not Eddie so Kramer. Great. Sorry, go ahead. Kind of rough and like you know, like it could have been produced better. Uh, but there are some, I think some, and some of my favorite track. Well, my the most favorite tracks off of this album are the ones that are like you know, Little Wing and a Castles Made of Sand, and you know, like his his voice and guitar. They're not this. They're not just like screaming blues guitar. They're the more chill, mm. sort of jazzier kind of. You know, like it's it's his voice and the guitar. Well, I guess Little Wing doesn't have his voice in it, but like Castles know, Made kinda, of Sand for sure. That kind of yeah, Castles Made of Sound exactly. Like I that, would say I would say if Six Was Nine is a good example of where his vocal is buried, a lot yeah. of the time. Sure, mm. there was a lot, but I, I feel at that point, there's a lot more stuff happening in that one too, and they did things with overdubs and playing around. A with little stuff. bit. I also I also really like forgetting about how many like hallucinogenics and drugs this guy was on at the same time. Well, you know, I like definitely played a part in all. I don't, the I don't, I don't, well, no, but to be going to say that, like, this was also an album where that was like super prevalent when he was doing what he was doing, and like, could you imagine like hearing yourself one way, and then all of a sudden you you hear it played back to you, and you're like, that's not the fuck that I sounded like. We got to do this again. Who's doing this? This twenty four more tabs. Let's like. go, baby. Like, any anybody you know? who's recorded their vocals, or even if you, like listen back to a 
podcast or something you're on, if you're not used to it, it throws you. You're like, that what I sound like? Oh my god. Yeah. It can be ner- so like try, try that on a drug that like your mind is already altered. No, good and point. you've probably been recording for like three, four days, and you're mm-hmm. like, I'm not getting the sound that I'm hearing. Yeah, that I'm hearing in my head, and you're like, yeah. fuck it, just bury those vocals. I, you might have a point. You might have a point. I was going to say that the I, where I think the acid kicks in is where all the panning effects and phasing effects. Yeah, use. no, yeah, ESP, I can, man, for sure, hundred percent. Yeah, ESP hey, for sure. Listen, listening to this record, next not time on this I, album, but Crosstown Traffic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Next time I well, speaking of this record, the very first song, EXP, which isn't really a song, it's like a skit. Yeah. It's like a weird skit where he pretends to be being interviewed as a regular person, but he's actually an alien, and then it's a spaceship flying around the room or something. I don't know what's going on, but it's actually, obviously it made me think of something. It was it made me wonder if because uh, we and I just I mentioned it earlier, but we just listened to the the Carpenters. Uh, album a, a while like just a couple episodes passage, ago. Passage. passage. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I wonder if how like obviously they'd heard this album, right? If if the guy's listening to Klaatu, he's listening, he's heard Jimi Hendrix, right? So mm-hmm. I wonder if the uh the Carpenters intro to calling occupants of interplanetary craft, you know, because that the guy was a was a callback to yeah, a little bit of a, 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 a homage, you know. I, I wish it was similarities for more sure. of an homage. I mean, I wish it was a better song. <laughs> well, they didn't get crazy with like the panning and the stuff like that, but there was, yeah, the whole... well they should have. Well, was... yeah, of course they should have. <laughs> it was fun listening. It was fun listening to this song with headphones on and being like, Oh, Jimi Hendrix guitar is zooming around my head. Well, well, I was going to well. say, but next time I set up a new hi-fi. Oh yeah. Well, I want to make sure I've got the stereo separation like I'm gonna throw on Axis Bold as Love. Totally. And be like, it should sound like it's in front of me. It should sound like it's beside me. It should sound like, like it's behind me. It should sound like it's in front of me. That's another thing that I think that shows up in his lyrics. Like, um, uh, what is it? Yeah, it is like Bold as Love, where he talks about like colors rare being this. Mm. You know, like um, I, I don't oh, remember yeah. the exact being lyrics. It's like. Uh, like he talks about red, blue, green, jealousy. Yeah, using colors as metaphor for yeah for like this uh, is this thing. And I'm like, yeah, come on, man. He was super into that. And that was a like huge yeah, just, thing going on. Hey, for sure. Greg, you know what's great about you being on this podcast right now? Mm. You actually listen to lyrics. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm about to get fired. <laughs> Every I time I ask I Charlie and Naomi, like, hey, what'd you guys think about, you know, the, the turn of phrase on this song or the metaphor or what do you think this album's about? They're like, I don't know. I don't listen to lyrics. <laughs> no, hey, but all right. Which well, blows like, my mind because they're both songwriters. That's fair. <laughs> anyway, I love it. No, but uh, one that the one that hits me, uh, "Castles Made of Sand." Uh, mm. Put put that no. on your put that the on song, your uh, on your okay, Zoom the songwriting list, yeah. on this album, like "Little Wing," mm-hmm. is a fucking phenomenal song. Totally. There, there's a reason it's an iconic song. There's a reason that like it's been covered by everybody. There's a reason that there's a seven minute Stevie Ray Vaughan version. It's it's also it's 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 a well written song lyrically. It's great, but then also just the 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 mastery of stepping out of that like that rigid blues format and being able to apply like guitar like his guitar to the those those chord changes to that phrasing of Little Wing. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, that's what I mean, though. Listening to this version where it gets cut off before two and a half minutes, and I'm like, 
there's more to this song. There's more guitar to be played. There's more. Jimmy hasn't done expressing himself. <laughs> Come back. They were probably like, you know what, man? He's been going for 45 minutes. Fuck this guy. Cut it off. <laughs> he did like an hour version. long take and they're like, oh, these lyrics man, don't even make sense anymore. Like, minutes, cut him off. Cut him off. Yeah. But no, well, I get what you're saying for 100%. Yeah. Yeah. No, that, that's, and that's, to my earlier point too is I think this is that stepping point between the two records where this is where he proves himself as a songwriter. I think it's just that his guitar playing takes a little bit of a backseat on this album. Mm-hmm. Not that it's not that there isn't some of it on display mm-hmm. for sure. I I think that he shows off more of his rhythmic prowess on this album. You know, some of the choices he makes as a as like the rhythm parts on the songs are really interesting. Um, and of course, he can't like uh, deny uh, the the experience themselves, sure. uh, you know, those uh, musicians, Mitch Mitchell, uh, Mitch Mitchell and Noel Redding, uh, you know, like they were handpicked by, by Chaz Chandler to fill out the trio. And the reason they're a trio is because the idea was to put Jimi Hendrix front and center and not have other guitar players or other lead instruments like muddy that up. Like this guy can carry a whole band. He can yeah. do it. Um, it's amazing. Also, apparently, it's also partially because the reason Chaz Chandler decided to get out of the Animals, which had like anywhere from like six to eight members at a given time, was that mm-hmm. he was like, "No, no, I got paid because there wasn't enough money to pay everybody." And he, you know, he was like, "You're smarter to be in a, in a trio. Nobody's in a trio. You guys will make tons of money. <laughs> Too many mouths, <laughs> not enough food." <laughs> yeah, but but you know, this started the Power Trio. This is <sighs> the band that was like the first mm-hmm. big. A huge commercial band like you know he had a couple others. he had cream around the same time right you know i don't know who who did you have before that maybe the crickets <laughs> right but like but when you're like oh my god like three guys are making more noise than like bands of like five six seven eight guys like mm. oh maybe you just need talent maybe that's what you need you know <laughs> <laughs> um yeah uh I, uh, I don't know what else, uh, like, oh, it was cool though. Like I, even though it's primitive, it was really cool to hear that stereo panning and lo- those phasing effects. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then little wing has got the Leslie speaker on it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So uh, for anybody who doesn't know what a Leslie uh, speaker is, it's a rotating speaker. It was, it's mostly used even to this day. You hear it quite a bit on like, uh, organ, um, because it's easier for organ players to operate the speed of the rotating speaker. But the idea with the rotating speaker is that it it uh, it, it adds the Doppler effect, right? So think of like a siren as it like a, on a police car or an ambulance or something as like it's far away, then it gets closer, then it gets far away again. And so what you're hearing is you're hearing that sound projected and it just modulates the sound ever so slightly depending on how fast the speaker is going. Right, so the faster it goes, the more you're just gonna hear more of kind of a whoop, 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 whoop sound. But the the slower it goes, you're gonna hit your whoom, whoom, whoom kind of sound, right? Kind of gives it a tremolo kind of thing. Yeah, and mm-hmm. it's really cool to to hear, you know, like like Hendrix playing with these things for the first time. Uh, the first time you hear him use that iconic style of rhythmic percussive uh, use of the wah pedal is on this album, you mm-hmm. know. Which obviously, like, you go on to a song like uh, Voodoo Child, you know, Slight Return. And oh, yeah, I know that. Man. One of the most iconic, you know, but, like, he tried it out here for the first time in the studio. And then next thing you know, boom, there you go. That's 
signature Hendrix later on, right? Totally. Yeah. So yeah, it, it like I don't know what else to say really uh, uh, about this album. Like, yeah, I think even though it does suffer a little bit from the production of the day, like it, you know, it, it's still it's still cool to hear them play with those limitations. Sure. Right, because anytime you hear that stereo panning, that's literally them sitting at the board. That's probably, uh, oh god, I just said his name and I'm, I'm forgetting it again. Um, uh, that's probably literally uh, Eddie Kramer. Eddie Kramer, thank you, God, sitting at the board, like literally, like stereo panning. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> you go like twiddling knobs in real time to make that happen, <laughs> right? You know, like it, it blows your mind to think that now all this kind of stuff that you just run it through a filter or, or you just have a, a like, what do you call it? Just a, a plugin, a plugin. Yeah. A yeah. plugin on, on, you know, whatever you're using, like pro tools or whatever. On your program, on your yeah. app. And then you just click it in and like, you just go like, oh yeah, we want, we want some uh, stereo phasing. No problem. It's just a plugin now. <laughs> Plug it in, yeah. plug it in. I have an app for that. Don't worry about it. That's right. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I I noticed though that uh, a couple of times listening to this, depending on what I was listening to, sometimes that stuff worked really well and sometimes it didn't. But it was fun to hear it be like, you know, even on lyrics, like if six was nine, Jimmy would be singing in this year and then he'd be singing in this year. <laughs> right? <laughs> he switches. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it, to me, it's too. It's a weird intro. Did you guys notice this getting into the record? Like, okay, first you start with that skit, mm-hmm. and then the very first song up from the skies is just like a layback kind of like loungy jam. Totally. Like it's not mm-hmm. what you're expecting, right? You're expecting like you know, like especially with that intro, you're expecting that to be the intro until you're like expecting a big song shit to get like, really weird right off the bat. Yeah, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden it's just like a do 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 like yeah, it's the loungy thing. It's funny you bring that up because I, I listened to more um, Frank Zappa more than I did Jimi Hendrix growing up, just because my dad's weird and so are the people that I know. Um, <laughs> and that reminded me a lot of like listening to this album reminded me of the opening, like you just said, the like EXP, and then moving on to that, just kind of like kind of mellow, super chill, like kind of suck you into the album kind of song, or ease you in. Yeah, or ease you in, just like that is, that yeah, is you know, like you were expecting more from it, but you're you're not gonna change the song because you're like. Well, they're kind of fucking with me, aren't they? You know? <laughs> that is true. That is kind of a choice that like Frank Zappa would make for yeah. sure. Yeah, and I would like, like, you know, well, obviously Hendrix was, was before Zappa, but like, uh, I would. They would feel that they might have must have been contemporaries at some point. You know, obviously the well, yeah, but the bigger part of Zappa's career comes after this for sure. Hmm. Um. But you know, but it's stuff like this that leads to the taste in, in hearing people stretch out a little bit more and try and experiment with things, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, yeah. I don't know. Um, it's 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 such a good album, <laughs> really. <laughs> um, it's such a good album. If you had to pick a side. So side one starting with the XP and ending with seven, or I mean with uh, number six track number seven. If six was nine, and then number side two starts with "You've Got Me Floating," and then moves you know through to uh, "Bold as Love," the title track being the last track. Um, I don't know if there's a superior side. I think they're they're both pretty good. 
there's a couple of tracks. I think like you've got me floating. Is a, is some is one of those ones I was talking about earlier that I I think I pretty I slept on you know like right. as a younger person listening to Hendrix and going like oh I've got all the songs I want on this compilation, the ultimate experience this is the one this is good this is all the good stuff, <laughs> you know I was really missing out on songs like you got me floating like that really hit me this time, or one rainy wish, yeah yeah you know mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. I've probably only heard that song as many times as I've ever listened to this album and I've probably only listened to this album maybe a dozen times at this point you know sure. I've listened to all the other ones dozens of times. <laughs> um, so I don't know. Like I, I, I think this the album definitely deserves a little more attention. You know, but I don't know if it's I don't know if it's going to get more rotations than Are You Experienced or uh, um, Electric Ladyland. I don't, I don't think know. that it is. I mean, like it's got what five or six of the big you know like the big Jimi hendrix tracks right that people that lots that people know a lot right but the fact that the other like we were saying before it's a golden egg but it's a smaller golden egg than the other giant golden eggs that he laid right so yeah uh you know it, it each of these albums did commercially better than the previous one sure but that's only because people were discovering people were just catching on yeah mm-hmm. as like you know the, like and then by the time he's gone, like I don't think I don't think Band of Gypsies did better than Electric Ladyland. Right. I I'm pretty sure it didn't. You know, I don't remember there being any real singles off that. I mean, and all those songs are that's what I'm talking about. That's you know what? That is my Hendrix though, really. Is the Hendrix who really stretches out, plays seven minute songs, jams on stage, you know, mm-hmm. just takes chances, does wild things. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean I, I guess that's something that I thought about. Uh, I realized after I was like, oh, so was this, this is number 92 in the 100, 100 albums, greatest albums of all time. And they're even, you know, they're saying that they're like, yeah, this is a bunch of the reviews that I was reading through. We're like, yeah, it's his third best album, but it's still like, you know, amazing and groundbreaking, right? And I was like, and I already kind of knew, but it just made me sit and think for a minute. I was like, oh yeah, okay. So I guess we are going to be listening to the other two main Hendrix albums at some point in the near future, right? Like, well, okay. As we creep I, closer and closer to one. I would assume we are. I, would, I, I mean, <laughs> if you're like, this is the third best album he did. The other two don't make the top 100. Right, I would be but, very surprised. But that's just my taste. I don't know, like, I, I, I maybe I read a few couple of reviews that said similar things, but I don't know. I don't know what Rolling Stone. Decided. I would think critically, like critically, uh, from what I, from what you know, the vibe that I got from what people were critically saying of the album was that. Yeah, I figured. Okay, so here's here's my next question because I think I still maybe just right now in this time and place, maybe my taste will change or things will change, but I think that if I had to for myself rank, you know. Jimi Hendrix albums, I I'm I'm gonna put Band of Gypsies number one for me. Yeah, mm. you know that's not the experience. That's a different band, but that's that the, the that version of Jimi Hendrix is like that's the the live version. That's the performative version. That's the guy stretching out. You know, doing every making his guitar fucking sound like a machine gun. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, like that's that uh, that I can't get enough of that's that. That's jam. also a, to me that's the grooviest Jimi Hendrix. You know, it's good. It's my favorite. Then I think 
it's going to be tough, but I think I'm going to have to say Electric Ladyland just before how much, because that's a double album. Yeah. And there's a lot of stuff on there. A, there's a lot along the Watchtower on there. B, there's, B, there's Voodoo Child. Yeah, I was going to say, that's a beast of an album. Dude, it's a huge record. I fucking... And when I bought that album in 1994, I mean, I, I know the the version I got, the CD, the re-release, was part of a thing that all came out in like 92, 93. I'm not exactly sure what year I bought it. But I also got the poster. Mm-hmm. The that was the reimagined cover for Electric Ladyland. That was like the one that, like, I took down my Beatles poster, got rid of that, <laughs> put up my Jimi Hendrix poster. Yeah, there might have been a live, like, remember the band live, like Throne Copper. There might have been one of their posters in between there, but <laughs> eventually I figured it out. Don't worry. Anyway, listen to that band. I just wanted to. <laughs> tell you. Oh God! Naomi's listening to Throwing Copper. That's I not in here right rat- now. I'll tell you what I'll tell you what happened. Lakini's juice came out and I was like, what the fuck? And I shut put up, up the Jimmy Hendrix poster album. right shut away. Shut up, shut up. That was a great album. Here's okay, okay. Here's guitar playing on Lakini's juice. Jing jing. Yeah, it was great. It was raw and dirty. It was awesome. Charlie is so right. Okay. Then put on a Jimi Hendrix record and go, Oh, what the fuck is this? That's two completely different things. Uh, no, it's people who are playing the other guitar, and one of them was blowing the other one out of the water. <laughs> <laughs> That's not apples to oranges. That's apples to apples, my friend. That's apples to a different kind of smaller apples. <laughs> okay, and then you know what else happens? Then they put out a goddamn record about saving the dolphins or something. Okay, well, you, I'm off. I'm I'm off at that point. So, <laughs> yeah. Okay, you see how you scum. Fuck <laughs> <laughs> those dolphins. Fuck the dolphins. I got, I'm in a purple haze over here. All right. <laughs> anyway, that poster went on my wall. Anyway, so I'm saying, so let's say, okay, Gypsies, number one, uh, Electric Ladyland, number two. Then, obviously, can't deny, are you experienced? It's just, that, that's a monster record. Also, that's, that's the guitar record. I mean, mm. so is Electric Ladyland, but just, you know, man, what's on there, Foxy Lady? Like, come on. <laughs> I think that's the one I missed earlier, or I don't know what I missed earlier, but either way. And then, and then this one. Yeah. But. The smallest but, golden egg. But with the caveat being like, still up there on like Mount Olympus, you know? Like, that's like, you're not Zeus, you're just Hercules. <laughs> like, <laughs> right? You know what I'm saying? You're not, yeah. okay, so you're a demigod of like, you're still better than mortal man. Yeah. I don't know. If you guys had to rank Jimi Hendrix albums, where is this one coming in? This one's probably still coming in lower. I don't know if it's mm. mine is still exactly the same as yours, and I would be very excited to re to 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 come back to this question if and or when those other two show up on the list, right? Um because it's been a minute since I've listened to them full front to back kind of things. So but I would still say, I mean, based off of the hits and the the star, you know, the song star power that I that I can remember off of reading the track lists, this would still come in third, for sure. Mm. Yeah, Greg, um, what do you think? I was gonna say uh, this will probably stand at number one for me. Oh yeah, right on. And, uh, and it stood at number one like before this conversation. So, um, like We're I not totally changing get any minds here. So I'm not changing any minds, no. And, and I totally understand what you're saying. Like the first album being like 
check it out. Uh, We're changing the world. It's Jimi Hendrix. Uh, better listen. Um, and, and especially Electric Ladyland, like that album, also one hundred percent is amazing. This one for me, I think more along the lines was how uh, gritty it sounded. Like you said, like super kind of like under whatever. Um, underproduced a little. Underproduced a little bit, yeah. But like the lyrics that were that that were being said, <clears throat> that were being written by Hendrix, and just like they kind of let him say what he wanted there is a couple songs where there was no chorus there's no bridge it's just him <laughs> fucking spitting poetry like let him go you know yeah you know <clears throat> you make a good point if there's anything that would change my mind a little bit it would definitely be the more personal songwriting on this or mm-hmm. or the the taking the chances as a songwriter being a little bit more like bluesy about it and just like you know repeating a verse or two i mean you know you already said some stuff that sounded a little trippy before but on this one you know the little the, the like um the castle's made of sand that's yeah. it that's it for that's, me that's, that's, what, my, that's my favorite track on the album right there 100 and that i like one of my all-time favorite Jimmy. yeah me too tracks. you know it's definitely up there for me if i think hendrix i do think castle's made of sand i mean it gets in there on the list mm-hmm. um yeah but that's easy that you're like yep yep uh castle's made of sand that's one of my favorite but yeah <laughs> yeah for sure little wing yep that's one of my favorites <laughs> but yeah sure sure Spanish see but they're castle all magic. your favorites that, that's man that's favorites. the thing yeah absolutely yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, exactly. That's, I know it's tough. It's like, it's like, it's like getting a chocolate cake and being like, which piece of chocolate cake was my favorite piece of chocolate cake? <laughs> I guess this one had a little more frosting on it. <laughs> okay, but here's well, the that's thing. the thing. It's like I would rather listen to Castles Made of Sand uh, a thousand times sure. more than I would rather listen to like <laughs> Voodoo Child a thousand times. Fair enough. Okay. I guess it depends on what you're in the mood for, right? Like, yeah. man, if, if I want to just hear that guitar mastery, I'm going to put on Voodoo Child. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. However, but, I would say if that I'm gonna, maybe, maybe Castles Made of Sand is a little bit better of like a shroom song because you get to that that uh, reverse solo. Oh, fair enough. That backwards track oh, solo. And you're having a good time. That's one thing to really pay attention to with the headphones on. This is a headphone album for sure, mm. by the way. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's fun to listen to on a stereo. We listened to it driving too. And I was like, this isn't quite the driving record. This is more the, you know, fucking smoke. I took an edible and I just sit down and yeah, sit down (laughs) on the couch with the headphones on. So I got one more listen in, uh, sober, but still headphones on cans on and cranked it up and just really listened into the headphones. And that's when that stuff like that backwards masking on the guitar, like over, yeah, Castle's Made of Sand, like that comes out. You really yeah. hear that there. Mm-hmm. And it works so well, you know? Mm-hmm. That's, that's what I'm saying. Like, you know, like as far as limitations go production-wise, it only holds it back so much. Really, they were like playing around with shit like that and they were making it work. And mm-hmm. yeah, I, I, I guess. And like you say, it almost adds to its character. It does, for sure. You know, it, I've got to say that this definitely out of the small, small, short, career of this band and and hendrix himself it's not like it doesn't stand out right Mm -hmm. like it's still an interesting listen right like there's still totally that's yeah it's picking your favorite piece of chocolate cake like (laughs) yeah yeah. it's like well this one's got a little bit of a chocolate like a rose devil's food this is black forest and this is the the corner piece this one's the corner piece so it's got extra icing Right, man. And I think it's so important to go back and listen to this stuff too, just because it really shows you where the like where the music we listen to today really came from. Mm. 
you know like it it it, it took it took a Jimi hendrix to happen you know for metal to even happen sure mm. right like maybe we would have gotten there it's not like there weren't people playing kind of power chordy stuff and minor keys and maybe black sabbath would have happened maybe or whatever but just making it like commercially you know people i don't know it's this is what's interesting i heard somebody say this the other day too and and the thing that's kind of important about this band and i, I think we'll come back to this point too is there was a point in the 60s where music kind of desegregated itself you know, there wasn't like the urban station or the urban section of the CD store, record store, whatever. You know, it's like you had a band like the Jimi Hendrix Experience. You had a you had a black guy from Washington, USA, playing with a bunch of fucking limeys in the you know in the UK. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And he was, you know, he was playing music that was inspired by the blues, obviously, but just as much it had a ton of influence on it from like what was happening in that scene there really you know and it's you know maybe that's what it was i don't know like i know hendrix was playing in r&b and blues groups and and backing up like uh popular artists at the time in the in the states but maybe him going to the uk and meeting up with these guys is what really gave him the impetus to stretch out and and try wild psychedelic things right i think one of the coolest things that one of my best friends ever talked about was how like being a soloist, uh, you, you know, you either play the violin or you specialized in something, and Jimi Hendrix just did what they did, but better with one instrument. <laughs> you know, yeah. you, they kind of like stole that role of like, oh man, listen to this amazing song that I have. <clears throat> but when you listen to it live, you you don't hear the end for like forty five minutes. You know, like he did that for like kind of modern i won't say modern music but for like his album music there was always that one solo where you're like dude you remember do you know how you feel when you listen to that solo like that's how people talked about like uh classical yeah 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 you're kind of right also you just made me think of like people talked about Jimi hendrix guitar playing the way they would talk about a singer yeah yeah like the way somebody expressed themselves emotionally through their voice and through words yeah hendrix had the mastery to do that with a guitar the way that like very few had ever been able to do that either before or even since you know um and you know it's not that there weren't other great guitar players out there but just the things that he was willing to do and the way he was willing to work around convention just even you know i, I could imagine seeing him live you know, and then picking up a record, there might have been part of you that was a little disappointed in the record. Mm. <laughs> you yeah. know, because well, that is, is, ain't that the way though? It happens, right? <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, enough. I know for sure there've been times where I've been so blown away by how dynamic uh, a live performance has been, like a band or an artist mm-hmm. or whoever, mm-hmm. and ran over to that merch table and got that CD or got that record or whatever, and then gone home and put it on and been like. Oh, this is not the same experience Oops. at all. Like well, this, this is, is technically the song I was just listening to live, but it's not the energy or feel. But something about something the studio they just they they lost it somehow. It's just flat, or or maybe it's that if I'd heard it on the album first, I would have been just as impressed by the album, and then gone and saw it live and been like, whoa, okay, I went to another level. But I already would have had that first impression of the album. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, you know, it, it, but going the other way sometimes is, is kind of hard, right? I mean, <laughs> there's something to be said about somebody who can recreate the sound of their album on stage. 
Right. Because that's that's a talent too, in a way. I mean, it's easier and easier all the time, you know, especially with a lot of backing tracks and triggers these days. It's really easy to really dial in those studio sounds in a live setting. Mm-hmm. But but I, uh, I I think one of the things that would uh, great about this era in music uh, is that it's not perfect, you know. Right. And knowing that it's not going to be perfect and knowing that there's going to be imperfections, like not just going into it listening, but the kind of taste in music that people developed because of that at the time, is that they were looking for more expression in music. Because, yeah, a guitar is going to drop out of tune. Uh, a singer can't be autocorrected. Like they're, so you're going to have to kind of take them at their merit as a performer. You know, and not expect it to be like so perfectly dialed in. You're gonna you're gonna appreciate the dynamic and the nuance in their performance. You know, mm-hmm. yeah. And I mean, I guess Hendrix just exemplifies all of that. More so, he wrote his songs for his live show more than he did his albums, kind of thing. You know. Yeah. Well, also these songs, like only two of these songs were really played live, apparently. I've only ever heard live versions from Hendrix of maybe two of these songs. And I, well, Little Wing being one of them. And I don't know what the other one, like, I guess probably if Castle Magic. I'm That's what I would of, guess, Spanish Castle. Yeah. yeah mm. And because apparently Spanish Castle Magic comes from uh, a period in his life where he was jamming at a place called the Spanish Castle in Washington. Yeah. Like learning to play guitar live and, and, and meeting other musicians and stuff like that. Um, but most of these were just dreamed up in the studio or they were, you know, songs he'd kind of been working on or writing and then got into the studio and they, they bashed them out in the studio. They, they would it's do like, clever or, word for tripping out dreamed <laughs> up in the studio. <laughs> yeah, totally, man. Actually, it's a, that's, that's a great way to put it. <laughs> um, okay. Well, I don't know. Like, is there anything we can say that hasn't been said? I feel like I've been, uh, just kind of fucking gushing about this record no i think you reaffirmed everything we just thought at least for me anyway yeah i feel better about myself knowing that you guys are all we're all on the same page mm-hmm. <laughs> well okay uh do you guys want to know what the rolling what rolling stone had to say about it what did rolling stone have to say about it well it came in at number 92 out of 500 um so the Jimi hendrix experience acts as bold as love Jimi Hendrix's first album remade rock and roll with guitar magic that no one had ever dreamed of before. His second album was just plain magic. It started with some musings on extraterrestrial life, then got really far out. Jazzy drumming, funky balladry, liquid guitar solos, dragonfly heavy metal, and the immortal stoner's maxim from If Six Was Nine. I'm the one who's got to die when it's time for me to die. So let me live my life the way I want to. All over the album, Hendrix was inventing new ways to make the electric guitar roar, sing, talk, shriek, flutter, and fly. And with the delicate little wing, he delivered one of rock and roll's most cryptic and bewitching love songs. (laughs) So there you go. Number 92, Rolling Stone. Greatest (laughs) albums of all time. Um, So what do you guys think? Does it deserve its ranking? Well, here first, before we do that, I'll tell you that it's actually down a little bit from the previous version of the 500 Greatest Albums Guide because it then the the paper copy I've got it came in at 83. Oh, really? So it's been bumped. This is the first. I think this might be the first album we've talked about that's been bumped down the list and not bit. bumped up. Yeah, that's yeah. interesting. Okay. Hmm. Well, it'll be interesting to see what's ahead of it to to have bumped it down. Um, but 
yeah, any thoughts on its placement in this list? I would say uh, I'd like to see where the other two at since this is the third best album of Jimi Hendrix. As, Char- <laughs> as Charlie said, yeah. That's right. Yeah. But I have two more albums of Jimi Hendrix to listen to. Let's go, baby. Let's like, do it. Maybe maybe Naomi will uh, will call in sick on those other two and then <laughs> <laughs> we'll, have a, we'll, we'll reprise. Um, you know what? I... And I remember last time we were talking about Missy Elliott, and I would think I was the only one out of the three of us that I was like, yeah, I get it. I get how it's in the top 100 albums. But, like, compared to this, no, nah, this way this way more deserves to be in the top 100. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's what I, what I mean when I'm saying, like, this quantifying is so hard to figure out. But I'm going to kind of go with Greg here and say, assuming that mm-hmm. the other two are much higher on this list. Mm-hmm. You know, like I'm gonna expect, like, are you experienced to be kind of way up there? Yeah, if Electric Ladyland or Experience doesn't show up in the next sure. 92, yeah, then I'll <laughs> my be opinion like, on where this lands is, yeah, it should be way higher. Hey, don't don't spoil it. I mean, don't I've already it. gone through this one cover to cover. I'm not gonna tell you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't want to be spoiled. I'm trying my best not to know. Yeah, I want to be surprised by number one, basically. Sure. I'm sure everybody in the world be able to be like, "Oh, you're not it's going to uh, be surprised by number one, but oh, it's Sergeant Pepper's stupid, <laughs> or whatever <laughs> it is." But I just want to, I, you know, look, you know, there's I only so many surprises you can have in this day day and age, and uh, <laughs> and look, I didn't have a gender reveal party. That's all I'm saying. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't fucking shake my presence on Christmas. Look, you know. I you don't. want a natural surprise, a good natural <laughs> surprise. Yeah, but yeah, I, I, I'm. I it makes sense to me that this is in the top 100. It'll make more sense to me that it's 92 if the other two are much higher. Totally. Mm-hmm. Um, but because it is hard to quantify these things, the question I really want to know from you guys is: Is it in your collection? And if not, will it go into your collection? Would it be in your collection? You know, it's not in my vinyl collection, but it is in my CD collection. Oh, did you actually listen to it on CD? No, not this time. I I just had, <laughs> I just did the Spotify thing this time. Yeah, of course. Who would put a CD on when you don't have to now? <laughs> well, it's fun. I still have a five five disc CD changer in my basement, so I oh, still so can you, go down there and throw so it, you can, throw on some party, party I was say, random party jams. You, put on five CDs and hit random. like Absolutely. And, and, and you just hope that the scratches aren't bad enough to really screw up your day. My favorite thing about using to, like to do that back in the day, using to do that, that's not a fucking... Yeah, using to do that. I know what you're saying. Using to do yeah. that. When we used to do that. I using to do that. Thing, when we used know? to... Do, I used to do drugs. I still do, I but still I used do, to do. but I used to do. I used to do, too. Yeah. <laughs> okay. But my favorite thing about that was that... Because in the 90s as you guys might remember, it was really popular to put these fucking stupid secret songs on the end of every CD <laughs> or like some yeah. skit or just have like 15 minutes of nothing. And then there's like a sound mm-hmm. and then you would put those all in the disc changer and hit random. And then you'd be like, Oh fuck. Why am I it, listening to nothing? It hit the secret track. God no, damn it. That's not even it. You wouldn't even notice for the first five or seven minutes. Yeah. You're just like yeah. hanging out with your buds and talking and you're like, Hey, what the hell turned... happened to the music? And that's when, boom, that's when the next track starts. And you're like, what the fuck? Anyway, yep. every time I hear Prince sing Party Like It's 1999, <laughs> that's what I think of. 
I think of like Five the secret parties, baby. at the end of Hellbilly Deluxe or something, you know, like <laughs> ruining my five disc changer <laughs> five disc party. <laughs> anyway, okay, uh, I'm kicking myself now for having skipped this one when I could have when I bought the other two uh, reissue re re-release CD versions in the '90s uh, because I was like, I have all the songs I want from that one on the compilation. Look, I'm an idiot. <laughs> I should rectify that by going and finding this. But you know what? I uh, The only Jimi Hendrix I have on vinyl at the moment is Band of Gypsies because that is my favorite Jimi Hendrix record. So I think it's high time I rectify that and I actually go track down, you know, three decent copies of the first three studio records, the, the experience records. So, yes, of course, eventually at some point, this would will or would go in my record collection. Yeah, it would. Mm. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Greg, did you give an answer on that? Uh, no, I uh, I don't own one, and I, I would. I only have the experience. Mm. I, my uncle owned it, got it from him when he passed away. Sorry, rest in peace. Love that guy. Choo-choo, choo-choo. <laughs> but um, yeah, no, I I would I'd, I would own it if I could. Uh, I don't know if I'd go CD because who does that anymore? Um. I'm a hipster. We've talked about this already. <laughs> I want the album for sure. Yeah, there you go. That's all we need is three solid. We don't need that, but I'm saying like in this case, mm-hmm. we have I'm a three three solid. Yes, I would have this in my We're collection. In. We're in. All right. Well, that's good to know. All right. Well, that was Jimi Hendrix Experience Access Bold as Love. Um, so... If you guys want to know what we're going to be doing next, where we're going to be, who we're hanging out with, you know. Who's going to every- show up on the show? Everybody's their own paparazzi these Is days. Is it going to be Naomi? <laughs> it could be. Who knows? Who knows? Uh, we got who a website. her anyway? We have a website for all of that. We keep it all in one place. And guess what? The t-shirt is also on that website. <laughs> so what is that website, Charlie? Oh, that website is l2lpodcast.com. Right on, right on, right on. And nobody calls it, but uh, we keep doing it anyway. (laughs) We got a phone number. (laughs) Speaking of old, out-of-date technology that only hipsters use. (laughs) Yeah, come on, hipsters. Listen to some Jimi Hendrix. Call the phone number. And tell us that you're listening to some Jimi Hendrix. Tell us that your favorite song is, uh, I don't know, the, uh, the, fuck, uh, I got to say something clever here, and I'm not thinking of it. (laughs) It's EXP, but you got to listen to it backwards. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Tell us that he's not even a good guitar player and we don't know what we're talking about and that uh, there are much better guitar players than Jimi Hendrix and that he only used pentatonic scales and then we're all fooling ourselves. Tell us by calling this number, Naomi. If you want to fight us, call us at 780-851-8785. Yay. If you want to fight us? <laughs> yeah, I mean... Our- Argue with our uh, argue with us. Oh, I see, I see. I see. Tell us we're wrong. No, no. Call us out or, by literally just, calling us. <laughs> or you could really fight us. <laughs> Let's rumble. All right. Okay, and we have hosts on the show that have other stuff going on. Maybe they want to tell us what they're doing. Charlie, what do you got going on? Oh, you know me. I'm just going to tell you about oldmandesign.com. I got t-shirts. I got mugs. Hey, look, I got different podcasts, and I got all the merch. All the merch under one umbrella. You want to? You want all that merch? Just go to oldmandesign.com. We'll get you sorted. 
Right on. And then uh, not Naomi, uh, Greg, you can <laughs> tell us what you got going on. You got some plugs for us? Yeah, if you want to check me and Charlie out with our other co-host uh, on the other Judas cast at it's a conspiracy podcast.com. You can find all of the links to whatever you want to find there, our Instagram, our Twitter, wherever episode you want to talk to. Uh, you may also want to call us on the phone number that Naomi had just uh, had mentioned earlier. Um, we're not that cool, but we try to be. <laughs> and then Naomi, since you're actually here, real Naomi, why don't, why don't you not, plug what you got going on? Not that I deserve a plug, but uh, <laughs> when I'm not shrugging off my responsibilities here at L2L, I host another podcast called Dope Nostalgia, and my guest this week is Too Unlimited. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Oh, dope. That's pretty sweet. Yeah. I'm going to listen to that one. <laughs> Support Naomi. Wow. Listen to her podcast and ignore everything I said in the intro. You know, <laughs> I can't wait to hear this episode. <laughs> See what kind of smack talk. Ooh, I'm in trouble. <laughs> I'm in trouble. <laughs> I was never here. <laughs> Yikes! He's All right. Well, thanks everybody for hanging out and uh, listening with us today. Um, of course, remember you can always go to Patreon.com/slash/learn-to-listen and hear more. Hear more. And it's not all about music. It's mostly us just going like, hey, what'd you guys do this weekend and stuff, you know? So if that sounds interesting for <laughs> to you and you want to pay money for it, be my guest. <laughs> Get all uh, revved up. <laughs> yeah. Hey, uh, but that's patreon.com slash learning to listen. Okay, next week, uh, I think we're going to keep going down the Rolling Stones greatest albums of all time list. Uh, <laughs> here's a fun one. We're going to do number 91, Bruce Springsteen's Darkness on the Edge of Town. Oh, shit, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you can actually listen to this one now? Or? I'll think about it. <laughs> Just tell us where the bodies are. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, I'm sure just like fucking Chaz Chandler said to Jimi Hendrix way too many times while they're recording Axis Bolt with love. Oh, Mike, just wrap, wrap, wrap it up. The music was fun, and then it got really dark for a while, a little bit anti-establishment. But the next thing you knew, it was totally fun again. So many artists came and went, and left us wondering, what are they doing now? This podcast isn't about the heavy hitters who are still making millions. It's about everyone else, the ones whose careers didn't really leave that decade, and kind of just still live in our memory. So you mean Vanilla Ice had another song? We all know what happened to Marky Mark. But what about the Funky Bunch? Who were the KLF? And why did Tammy Wynette record a song with an electro dance band that topped the charts? Two genres that specifically defined the 90s. What were freestyle and New Jack Swing all about? Did you know that Blossom star Joey Lawrence had a huge pop hit? Or that Alanis Morissette had a really hot pop career in Canada before Jagged Little Pill? Special guests will also be joining me to discuss the great era of glitter, grunge, 
thin eyebrows, hammer pants, and total ridiculousness. We're even setting up some interviews with some of the musicians that define the times. Okay, so if you're older than 30, you might be sitting here going, man, I totally remember that song, but I have no idea who does that. Well then, you better listen and find out. I'm Naomi Carmack, host of the Ultimate 90s podcast, Dope Nostalgia. You're going to be busting the move again, coming in early 2020. You want to follow us so that you know when we go live? Check out our Twitter at Nostalgia Dope, or you can find us on Instagram at Dope underscore Nostalgia. If you've got a question or you just want to be on the show, email us at Dope Nostalgia Podcast at gmail.com.